Hi everyone, welcome to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding the light after perinatal trauma. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, birth trauma survivor turned podcast host. Today we are joined by Paige, a placental abruption survivor and double NICU mom. I'm sure when Paige became pregnant, she didn't imagine her motherly intuition would save her and her first daughter's life. Fast forward a couple more years and Paige's second daughter would wind up in the NICU as well. Next, she would go on to author her first children's book titled, Welcome to the Nick Zoo. Tune in to hear more. I also want to take a moment right here and thank Paige for sponsoring her episode today. Her support truly means the world to me and also means more episodes just like hers. This also means changing the maternal health world one podcast episode at a time. If you are interested in sponsoring an episode, email me at kathy at birthtraumastories.com. That's C-A-T-H-Y at birthtraumastories with an I-E-S dot com. Okay. Now on with the show. Thanks so much for being here with me today, Paige. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk and share your stories. I think this episode is going to be great. Thanks. This is my first time on a podcast, so it's my first time sharing my story verbally. Great. I'll I'll be be curious at the end to hear how you felt about your first time sharing it verbally, because I know for me personally, the first time I shared it verbally was extremely cathartic. It was hard, but it was really healing for me. So I'll be curious at the end. Don't let me forget to ask that, okay? No problem. Okay. So let's go ahead and start with an introduction about you and your family. My name is Paige. Um, I'm from Long Island. I'm 32 years old. I have two daughters who both, you'll hear about their Nikki stories. And right now I am working on a book. It's a children's picture book about their NICU stories. I was inspired by their NICU stories. And my hope is to help other NICU families by sharing our story, sharing the book. And I hope I could bring some comfort uh, to them the same way I've had making the book. Are you illustrating it as well? Okay, I'm not illustrating it. So it's actually my sister's friend but it was really funny because we asked her to do it and she told us that she was in the NICU herself which previously we obviously had no idea so it just felt like the perfect fit and her being a part of it is also just really great Um, she's using it as like a healing tool and it's really inspiring for her as well wow and do you feel like authoring the book has become cathartic and healing for you definitely uh, I guess after I had my first daughter, I was just you know, like mm-hmm. in the thick of it, raising a baby, a toddler. And then my second one came along and I never really understood that I needed to heal. So once I finally was able to sit down and write the book, it definitely helped with the healing process. What helped even more is now that I started an Instagram and kind of promoting the book, connecting mm. with other families. And I never realized hearing other people's stories, I can just connect so much. And I'm like, that's exactly how I felt. And it just validates those feelings that I had. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize what I went through was trauma. Like to me, it was just the, our birth story. And I just thought that's just the way it is. But really, it's not 
the normal experience mm-hmm. that other people have. And it's just something that you should, you know, give yourself credit for that you got through it. And so sharing my story, like on platforms like this is just another way of healing and helping me understand that journey. Absolutely. It's interesting that you say that you didn't realize you needed to heal because at with my first daughter, I experienced perinatal trauma as well. I developed a uterine infection five or six days postpartum. And going back to the hospital, I remember it being really, really hard. <laughs> and in particular, coming home that second time, I vividly remember walking into my house, walking through my dining room and going, am I going to have to go back in a couple of days? That was yeah. a trauma response and that I needed to work through those feelings of of a readmission, which exactly I tend to use humor to lighten a situation. So I'm going to use humor. I hope it doesn't offend you. But it's, in my opinion, comical that I felt like one readmission was a big deal because after my second, I had like seven. Oh, wow. You know, just like a completely vast different situation. But then, too, I remind myself and my listeners, your trauma is subjective. Whatever your experience is, is valid. And there's no, I don't get a gold star because I went back to the hospital multiple times after my second versus I say only with bunny ears, only once with my first. Like, the first one was still traumatic. And again, I didn't realize it at the time. And didn't realize I needed to talk to someone and process that <laughs> with another person. And the perinatal trauma community is really welcoming. Yeah, that's uh, something else I've experienced as well. Just reaching out, everyone just responsive, mm-hmm. so positive. And it's something I wish I did sooner. Absolutely. I'm just happy that I've discovered it now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's dive into your birth stories. So my first daughter is Penelope Willow. Oh, She was born March 26, 2018. And like I had just gotten married. We had just bought, and bought the house. It's just like the typical story. Then you get pregnant. You go to the classes. You set up the nursery. You have everything ready. You just think everything is going to be so perfect. And... I ended up having a pretty smooth Mm -hmm. pregnancy, like some bad morning sickness, but all my checkups were good. Uh, Weight gain was good. Everything was healthy. At the time, I was still, I was 26, 26. Yeah, so I was still like young, you know, I was active. But I got to about 37 weeks, which was technically full term. I stopped working two weeks early, which looking back is like, thankfully I did that because it was Monday morning, was the first day I didn't go to work and I felt like the Mm -hmm. baby wasn't kicking too much. And I feel like if I had been at work, I wouldn't have thought anything of it, but I was home. So I just like went on Google and it said like, drink something sweet, like sugary. Uh, So I had a glass of orange juice, says lay down on your side in a dark room. And if you don't feel a certain amount of kicks and I think it was like 20 minutes, like call your doctor. I ended up doing that. 
I feel like they didn't take it as seriously at the time as well. And they were like, they didn't get me an appointment like right that second, which looking back, I think they should have like changed their protocol, but maybe they just mm -hmm. first time mom, maybe I'm just being like anxious. I mean, I did have, I had gone like last week for my regular checkup and everything was fine. So there wasn't any major signs. I also didn't have any like bleeding or anything. I didn't have any cramping. So the only thing they were going off of was that I was saying I felt like the baby wasn't moving. But sure enough, I went there. They set me up for some testing. I think they were just trying to keep me calm. They were like, maybe you should just go to the hospital for some more testing. And I was just like, all right, should I get my bag? And they were like, no, you should just go straight to the hospital. At that point, I was like, all right, something's wrong. Yeah. I go to the hospital. They had the C-section emergency room, like, already. Like, they knew who I was. They were like, oh, Paige, like, you're coming in. You know, they take off all your clothes. Uh, they have you sign a waiver that, like, you all the dangers, you could die, you could be paralyzed, all this. And, like, you're just going so fast. Like, I'm just, like, the next second I'm in this room, cold room, like, all these people are around me. Mm -hmm. It just goes by so fast. And I know a lot of people from their stories have the exact same experience. Um, you don't realize, like, I'm having the baby. And then after she was born, they took her away right away. And then luckily my husband uh, was able to make it and come with me. So he went to the NICU with Penelope. And I'm left in a recovery mm -hmm. room by myself. And you just have like your thoughts, like processing it, like what just happened? Like, what did I do wrong? Thinking like what you could have done differently. And I just had to wait there for like wow. six hours to get regain uh, feeling from the C-section in my legs. And when I was finally able to go up, then I was able to go to the NICU. Luckily, I was able to hold Penelope at the time. I know some people still can't hold their babies right away, even like after the few hours. So I was able to hold her then. But looking back, you're just like shocked at how fast it goes. And you had this birth plan. You had this idea in your head that the baby's going to like be put on your chest. It's going to be like skin to skin a moment. And like that's just like ripped away from you. And like I said, like you don't realize the trauma mm -hmm. of it at the time. I ended up staying in the hospital for like my three day stay for after having a C-section. But she didn't come home right away. She had to stay longer. And I think that's when it hit me when I came home and I walked by the nursery that we had all set up and I came home without a baby. And I feel like just like I failed something like that I did was the reason. But what eventually ended up happening was later on after some testing, we found out I had placenta abruption. Wow. Placenta abruption... Uh, it's just very rare, I learned, and it's when the nutrients stops flowing to the a baby in the womb. Whenever that had happened, she was starting to lose oxygen and losing her nutrients. So just the fact that I picked up on that right away, I didn't have any symptoms necessarily, no bleeding, uh, no cramping, like I said. I just felt like she wasn't moving as much, and I went off of a whim to the doctor to get checked out just like moments later the situation could have been totally different but luckily everything turned out okay wow i've never heard of a placental abruption with no bleeding like 
So I've heard of placental abruption, yeah. but not in your unique situation okay. of no other symptoms other than yeah. de- decreased activity in the baby. That's com- amazing. Like I say amazing, but I acknowledge it's complex. It's not just, it. it's miraculous. You really trusted your intuition and, you know, got to the doctor as quick as you did because through the telling of your story, it sounds like the doctor maybe was even a little bit dismissive of what you were telling them. They were acting like it wasn't that big of a deal. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Like I had called at eight o'clock in the morning when the office opened. Mm-hmm. But I guess since that was the only symptom I was having, they kind of gave me they got me an appointment three mm-hmm. hours later at 12 o'clock. Looking back now, that's like such a crucial three hours. Absolutely. But my one doctor at the NICU did tell me that the fact that I didn't have the bleeding or the cramping as well was like a miracle. Like he called it a miracle for coming in just off of my instincts. And then my gynecologist's office also told me that they changed their protocol that when somebody calls and they have the same thing, they get an appointment right away. How does that make you feel that you're a catalyst for change? Definitely feels good. I mean, I'm glad that it can change somebody else's outcome in the future, hopefully, and (laughs) just get them in right away when they need to be. I imagine there has to be some heaviness there too. Yeah. I mean, it feels a little tough that you have to think about what if it wasn't like that for me. But um, at the same time, you have to accept mm-hmm. what's already happened. Just be thankful for the outcome and yeah, move forward. And so that was your birth story with your first, Penelope. Let's talk about your birth. Yes. Let's so that talk about Penelope. your birth story with your second. So then... Obviously had some concerns about getting pregnant again, but I spoke with my doctors. They assured me that I would have more frequent testing. They would just keep track of the oxygen and blood flow through some special specialized testing that typically you don't normally mm-hmm. get, but I would get since I was now considered high risk. And so just outweighing those uh, risks, we ended up deciding to get pregnant again. Uh, again, everything was smooth. I was a little older now, so um, it was a little harder, but just like typical pregnancy, like morning sickness, feeling tired. I also was chasing a toddler now. But this one, I woke up in the middle of the night at 34 weeks and my water had just broke on its own, just out of nowhere, no reason. But I was surprisingly really calm. Mm-hmm. In that moment, I just was like, well, this is what it is. Like, at this point, I've learned your only pregnancy plan is to not have a pregnancy plan. Like, so I was like, it is what it is. I was taking my time, like, getting ready. My husband's like, we have to go. And I'm like, we're going to go. I was like, I just need to, like, clean up. He's like, don't clean up. So we end up going to the hospital. Luckily, everything with the baby was fine. Um, It was the same hospital I had my daughter. So again, like just having that second experience, I was more comfortable. I knew, I knew what was happening. 
I expected she was going to go to the NICU now because I was 34 weeks. So I wasn't, I didn't have any free ideas in my head of other things like the first time. So uh, everything was fine with her. We waited a few hours until the operating room was available. I had another C-section. She was born, so she was born 34 weeks. Like I said, she was actually bigger than my first daughter. And my first daughter, like I said, was technically full term. So she was healthy, good. Once she started being fed by the bottle, she just wasn't strong enough to grasp um, Mm -hmm. the nipple. So she had to go on a feeding tube um, on and off. Um, I mean, that's just tough when she's on it for a couple of days and then they take her off and they're like, well, let's see how she does. And she's still not able to. So that lasted a little long. She was in the NICU, ended up, she was like, even longer than my first daughter as well. She was two weeks in the NICU. But the other difference with Sydney as well was this was after COVID. Penelope mm-hmm. was pre-COVID. So with Penelope, we were able to have visitors and um, which was helpful at the time because she was getting so much different testing and it was nice to have our parents there to just have like, another pair of ears to hear. But then with Sydney, no one was allowed to come visit. The only people that were allowed were me and my husband. Um, but at the same time, that was nice to just have those two weeks to just have Sydney to ourselves and just enjoy the moment. With Penelope, we obviously didn't have to like, go back and forth as well. And with the second, you yeah. still have your other one at home. And I just remember feeling guilty if I was at the hospital that I wasn't with Penelope or if I was in the hospital of Sydney, I was guilty I wasn't with Penelope. So we have that as well with the second one. But but yeah, once we were finally able to bring her home, she uh, she's pretty much smooth sailing from there and she's been healthy and oh, thriving. that's great. And um, do you, what would be your advice or encouragement to a deb- another double NICU parent who has to split their time between a child at home and a child in the NICU? I just say do what feels mm-hmm. best and works best for you. I know people give you advice like the baby in the NICU is not going to know going to know the difference um but your older child will and i've heard that advice but it's like but you know the difference and it still like hurts that you want to be there for the baby even though maybe they don't know that you're there there as the nurses the way we did it was we tried best to split it between me and my husband so if i wasn't there um, i'd come home with penelope and we'd switch that way but i mean if people have schedules like that that can work Either way, I mean, just don't feel guilty. It is like a small big aspect of life. So it's just like a t- tough time in the mm-hmm. moment, but you'll get through it. And yeah, just do it the best you can. Go with your instincts and do it. Do you best feel like you. there was anything that helped you personally work through that time of splitting time between home and the NICU? I mean, definitely. I had a mm-hmm. lot of family support. So my family supports probably just like my best way of getting mm-hmm. through most things in life. But so we had my mom um, and my uh, in-laws that were able to help get Penelope back and forth from school, be able to be with her if we couldn't. And like I said, just having my husband go back and forth. Luckily, his job's very lenient with his schedule. So, uh, 
uh, he was able to come to the NICU at like off times of the day mm -hmm. if he needed to and things like that. But definitely family is the most important and just reaching out and asking for help yeah. if you need it. Are you a stay-at-home mom or do you work? I mean, yes, not that yes, stay-at-home so moms stay -home don't mom. work. So I want to talk a little bit more about your husband's job being lenient because when I got sick, mm -hmm. um, so my husband's company, they always allow parents, whether dad or mom, to bring the child with them for, I think it's, I think the rule is mm -hmm. until the child's mobile, you know, yeah. zero to six, maybe seven, eight months. So all, all employees are allowed to bring their child to work with them. However, in our situation, oh, wow. my husband was given, I can't even remember, it was a long time, maybe three or four weeks, just check in when he could. But with that said, like I was in the hospital a full month. So it was, again, unique circumstances. But even past that and beyond that, he was able to take not only our new baby, but our toddler to work many days for oh, wow. months and months. And even after COVID, his boss, his boss would watch the baby for us. So she would just sit there in oh, her wow. meetings, feeding the baby. So I just, I want to touch on, I feel like there aren't a lot of companies. I think I'm hopeful the tide mm -hmm. is changing, but I don't think that there are a lot of companies yeah. who allow new parents to either bring their kid to work, have a more flexible schedule, et cetera. Can you, can you expand on what so, your experience with that was like? Yeah, for us, it's a little different. When he doesn't work for a big corporation, he works for a small family company that's local. So it was flexible with his schedule. When I had Penelope, he didn't necessarily take any time off like he didn't take two weeks off like a certain amount of time he just uh, would take it day by day I needed a little extra help he could stay if he needed to or come home early if he needed to so luckily just in our situation we had that but for friends that I know that do work for companies I have heard a lot more leniency with the husbands getting more time off they can split it up different ways like they can take off like a couple weeks at, throughout the whole year, they can pick when they want, when the baby is born. So yeah, that's just interesting that things like that are definitely changing. Yeah, I think COVID had a lot to do with that. I mean, even still, my husband yeah. works from home two days a week. So he goes in the middle chunk of the mm -hmm. week. So his day is to work from home on Monday, Friday. But, you know, if there's a project that he needs to work on, he may go in Monday afternoon for several hours. Or he may go in, like, yeah. he goes in a lot at nights. He's a night owl. So, like, those are his kind of his prime hours, so to speak. So, uh -huh. I mean, there is a lot of flexibility. And I'm that's, I think, one huge positive of COVID. I think, in my opinion, becoming a little bit more family-oriented. Yeah. Like some days if my husband can't go in, he could work from his laptop if, like, he needed to, but yeah. still be home as yeah, well. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's nice. Outside of your family, was there anything else that has helped you process through your perinatal trauma? Our NICU was just really supportive with wow. follow-up as well, which I wanted to mention. We went back every three months to their high-risk clinic, which was like um, 
it was just a part of their NICU. We saw the same, we followed up with the same doctors that we had in the NICU as well. And that was just a key to Penelope specifically because after the first year, all like major health concerns were gone, but she was starting to show some developmental delays and they were the ones that picked up on her mm. autism first. And they were the ones that directed us to early intervention and just starting that right away. She had physical therapy from when she was born. She started occupational therapy and speech therapy from when she was one years old. So just having those resources definitely helped her situation and I think was the key to her success to where she is now. Wow. I've n I, I, yeah. I'm a little taken aback. That's really, really amazing. I don't think I've heard of a NICU that does like, follow-ups like that. I mean, I didn't have placental uh -huh. abruption, so maybe that's kind of the difference. Uh -huh. At least my experience for the mom being the more sicker patient, so to speak, there wasn't a lot of follow-up. Obviously, I had follow-ups with uh -huh. s different specialties like cardiology, pulmonology, et cetera, but there wasn't like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was really probably the first like, two years, it was really hard for us to get the services that I needed. And it took, oh, wow. yeah, probably a year, and well, maybe not quite two years, maybe a year and a half to where I found a PCP. I don't know if you know this, but that's kind of the primary care doctor's kind of role is managing like all the different specialties yeah. if you have a medically complex person. Yeah. Yeah. I, and um, so, like I said, it took us about a year and a half to find a PCP who was really advocating for me. And mm -hmm. thank God I now have like, a really amazing team uh, surrounding me. But it was a long process. So I'm really, really grateful to hear for Penelope specifically that you had that from the get-go. And I'm curious, though, if yeah. there are I would hope that there are more NICUs who do that kind of follow through because as you're developing, I can imagine like I have a niece who experienced birth trauma and had developmental delays. Uh -huh. And yeah, it, it's been astronomical for her to get that early intervention program. Yeah, I guess like you said, like for me, I had to go get follow up help follow-up care um, on my own like you were saying so yeah that would be nice if they had something for the moms as well but the fact that they did have it for the babies was just awesome I didn't know about early intervention at all it was brand new to me so the fact that they pointed me in that direction was really life-changing for Penelope and life-changing for our whole family really I asked this question not to like how do I say this not to like assume that you had mental health challenges but obviously in the AFE community uh -huh. many of us have PTSD postpartum depression postpartum yep. anxiety a different yep. a different smattering no. of of mood disorders some AFE sisters yeah. that I've talked to had great follow-up care in that regard and I say great kind of reluctantly uh -huh. because it was here's a pamphlet and here are numbers that you can call but when you're in the middle of yeah. a postpartum mental health crisis, you don't want to pick up the phone and call someone. Um, and like literally, so, I had nothing. Like, like I was not even handed a pamphlet. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this is another can oh, of worms. Oh, girl. Go for it. So with, Pen- with, <laughs> with Penelope, I looking back on it now, I definitely feel like I had postpartum mm-hmm. anxiety and depression, but I didn't yeah. realize it at the time. I think with her situation, just with her disabilities, I was always being like, oh, it's because of that. So then fast forward, when Sydney was born, I was feeling great until about four months. It was, I just, I was thinking in my head, this must be postpartum anxiety. So I thought nothing of it. You hear everything like about women's mental health, like reach out to your doctors, they'll help you. So I was just thinking, I made a follow-up appointment with my gynecologist, like I was going to tell them about what was going on. And they'd be like really supportive and be like, yeah, we can help you. And it was the complete opposite. And I was like, they were like, no, this definitely seems like something different. I was like, but I just had a baby four months ago and I never had a panic attack in my life. And all of a sudden I'm having them nonstop. They were like, oh, we can't help you. You're going to have to see it. Like another doctor outside, like a psychiatrist, if you want medication. And I was like, can you give me a referral? And they were like, no, there's there, there, there's no way to get an appointment for like months. I was like, how is that possible? And they told me that they were like, we have patients that are suicidal and they still can't get an appointment. I was like, wow, that's really concerning. I was like, just like in shock that they even said that to me. I was like, so how is like any mom supposed to feel supported after this birth trauma and they're having postpartum depression, anxiety and your gynecologist like can't even help you. Even like I said, like even if they couldn't necessarily give you the medication, even like giving you a referral to see another doctor, like with a reasonable amount of time was just so well, crazy to me. I also want to touch so, on the notion. So after I had, I'm trying to remember, it was after I had my first, it had been like a year or it was <laughs> coming up on a year. That's what it was. It was like, so she was born in August. It was like July, let's say. And I remember going <laughs> to my OB because my counselor kept telling me, like, Kathy, you need to go see someone outside of, like, just talk therapy. And I remember going into the office and telling her what I was experiencing. Or her answer to me was, typically, we don't consider any symptoms past a year related to postpartum. That's like you know, just generalized depression or anxiety. I was having anxiety at the time. Uh-huh. And I remember feeling so incredibly embarrassed and literally just wanted to run I... and hide. So, and granted, yeah. like that OB is just, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Well, you're already like, exactly. you're already in a vulnerable state and you're already exactly. feeling helpless. So then you're like your last resource, the person that you think is supposed to help you ends up like, making you feel more helpless and you're like exactly wow. let's also touch on the notion that it took a lot of courage for myself to make that appointment and show up and it took you a yeah. lot of courage to make that phone call like there are so many other moms out there who are so paralyzed by what they're going through that they can't make that phone call or they can't show up to an appointment yeah. and and yours was a year later. I don't know why there's like this time frame put on it, but they were telling the same thing. So they were like, well, now it's been like four months, like that, like acting like that was like a long time to start having symptoms. 
And it was also because I mentioned that my older daughter had autism. So they were, that's when I feel like um, they were just like, no, this is more about your daughter's autism and it's mm -hmm. more just anxiety and depression, like separate from postpartum. But it's still just, yeah, like it's really discouraging just being put off. Like even, like I said, if they couldn't help me, that they don't have, they're not teamed up with doctors that could help you or steering you in the right direction rather than just leaving like you with a piece of paper and these numbers, knowing that you're not going to get an appointment with anybody on this page for yeah. two, three months and just leaving you well, with nothing. Even there have been times, like, even talking to my counselor. So my counselor right now is on vacation, and she's gone for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so today's, what, Thursday. I normally meet with her on Wednesdays, and I'm already feeling, goodness, next Wednesday is so far away. And that's only six days. Yeah. So I can't imagine mm -hmm. I've been in that situation. So I, you know, I do understand, yeah. like, two to three months can feel insurmountable. Like, just insanity. Yeah. Ugh. Gets me so angry. Definitely. But that's definitely, yeah, just something else that hopefully can be improved in the future. I mean, you see all these things about mental health and, like, encouraging people to get help and, like, there is yeah. no help. So, I mean, something with the system really has to be looked at. I don't know what the answer is, but there's definitely a gap there. Yeah, and I mean... Filled. Many do not know about this. I definitely didn't know about it after having my first daughter. Postpartum International is a great resource. They have support groups. Oh, and yeah. you can, if I remember correctly, they have a crisis line. So you can be texting or call someone. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you can call someone. That's, That's a resource good. that I like to put out there to kind of fill in that gap from getting, from when you you feel like you need help to getting an appointment. Because I agree, like two, three months is way too long to is way too long to wait if you're having a mental health crisis. Yeah. It's just, yeah. We have to yeah. do better. And I, Definitely. in my opinion, I really, in my opinion, it starts in the OB office. Yeah. And even the pediatrician, Definitely. like as you're taking a baby, your baby to the pediatrician's office. I think, I think those are the two front lines of you know, combating this mental health crisis that our country is currently experiencing. Yeah. And I guess um, just my recommendation to any other parents, like I said, my first pregnancy, looking back, I had all the same symptoms, but I just thought that was yeah. normal. And I just thought this is what's what it's supposed to be like. Yeah, it's supposed to be stressful to be a mom, but I would just recommend a, a new mom uh, just to take those feelings seriously and just express them to somebody, even if it's like a family member, because I kept it all inside. And they give you those questionnaires at the pediatrician. And I used to always just, I guess, not that I didn't take them seriously, but I just didn't answer them the mm -hmm. best way I could have, I guess. I should have like elaborated more on my answers. Yeah. And I wish I had just realized sooner about getting help. But luckily, eventually I did, like after my, like I said, my second daughter. So good now, but, and it worked out in the end. I agree, but, too, yeah. especially after my first I'm kind of in denial of how severe my symptoms were and yeah. was not, like you said, just didn't elaborate as much as I could have. 
And actually, I have a, mm-hmm. a woman who was on the podcast last, last season, and she's amazing. Her name is Heather Martin. She is going through training to pick up on those little nuances mm-hmm. of maybe a mom answers each question the way that she thinks it should be. And so that's kind of a red flag. Then to follow up and say, now, how are you really doing? Um, or even just yeah. a simple thing of asking the question twice. Like, how is your mental health? You know, okay. obviously, um, what is it called? Like, sa- is it salutations? Like when you say hello to someone? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah, you yeah. say salutations, and then like five or ten minutes later, just ask, "How are you feeling? Like physically, emotionally, after having a baby?" You know, asking that question twice because yeah. typically, when you ask that second time, the, the walls come down. Yeah, great. And there, I mean, there's like a, like a questionnaire with five questions and it's like a scale of like one to 10. I mean, it's a lot more elaborate than just a few questions Absolutely. and scale. Yeah. Thank you for being brave enough to share all of that. I know it's going to help other moms out there and dads who are struggling. Yeah, it definitely I will. So. I know it will. Let's dive in a little bit deeper about your book. Can you tell us what it's about and et cetera? Okay. Yeah. So after I had Penelope, I actually wrote the book after I had Penelope. I just hadn't done anything with it at the time. My sister came up with this really cute title called Welcome to the Nick Zoo. So I just went off of that. I was like, that is so cute. And I tell the story of a NICU journey through zoo animals. And instead of the NICU, NICU, it's the Nick Zoo. All the doctors and nurses are highlighted in the book there are also animals and i have our illustrators still halfway through the process of completing the spreads but she's just done a great job at mixing medical and kid-friendly zoo animals which is mm-hmm. not easy to do we still wanted to show some of the NICU equipment but not make it in a scary way for a child and explain to them that the doctors are there to help you, the nurses are there for your support. Uh, After writing the book, I also felt like I wish I had this book for when Sydney was born. And I could have read it to Penelope and explained to her why mommy went to the hospital and had a baby, but I didn't Mm -hmm. be home right away and why the baby has to stay there. So I think that could be a really good tool for parents to use in the future. It's also just like a great keepsake that I would love to have um, and share with my kids as they're older and say this was your journey like it wasn't planned but it's okay but that's okay everybody has a different journey and this is how ours started yeah I love that when I got sick um so I was a stay-at-home mom before I got sick and then and even prior to being a stay-at-home mom, I was a nanny and took her to work with me. So she was literally with me every day of her life mm-hmm. until we went to have our second. And she didn't see me for two weeks. And she didn't see my daughter or my husband for four days. And there was only wow. once my husband was working out of the country. So for those two weeks, he was not home. But like I said, she was with me. So she was with one of us every mm-hmm. day for her the first two years of her life basically and so I as a two-year-old can only imagine like how scary 
that was to not see your people yeah. for multiple days. And then she was with trusted family friends, which worked out beautifully. But even then, like my husband brings the baby home and I'm I'm not there. I was still mm -hmm. in a coma when my second daughter got discharged. Wow. Yeah. So I just think about and our hospital did the best they could with the resources that they had. Like they had a child life team come and talk to my husband on how to explain it to Claire in two-year-old terms and like different things. And even at one point after I woke up, I remember FaceTiming with her, but we didn't turn the camera on because I was still intubated mm -hmm. and they didn't want her to see the uh -huh. tube. And, but I remember yeah. in the video call, her constantly saying like, where's mommy? Where's mommy? Uh -huh. I obviously couldn't talk, but you know, they kept telling her, mommy can hear you. I haven't yeah. talked about this a lot. Um, mommy can hear you, but you know, like mommy can hear you, but Claire's wondering where I am because she can't see me or talk okay. to me. So I wonder if there was it at yeah. that time an age appropriate book to even like when the roles are reversed to have not only the Nick Zoo. I love that title. I don't know if I ever told you my background is in <laughs> the zoo fields. Yeah. So I absolutely really? love that play on words and that you use animals. But in your future, I see an expansion to the different the different situations regarding the NICU. Or, yeah. My mind's already like thinking yes. like another bird, <laughs> but I'm like, I have to focus on this one. But um, yeah, like you were saying, like having a baby in the NICU definitely affects Absolutely. the other children in the household. Like they definitely can feel the energy of the adults in the house and the parents. Um, they know that it's going to change. So it definitely affects them. And having a resource to be able to explain to them in a way that they can understand and not make it scary, I think would just help a lot of families. And I wish I yeah, had that. Yeah, me too. So this is one of my favorite questions to ask my guests because I love everyone's answer. It's so okay. different for everybody. Is there something that you love about yourself after having your children? I definitely love how strong mm. it made me little things in life I don't worry about superficial things anymore at the end of the day it's just are like is everybody safe are they happy healthy and that's all that you can hope for so it just definitely made me appreciate life uh enjoy the little things and just be yeah, a stronger person I agree it's taught me to enjoy the little things like I never thought about like even just taking a walk around the block with my kids uh -huh. is a big deal. And so yeah. I can imagine bringing your baby home from the NICU and that first walk that you put them in the stroller, I can imagine just the feelings that kind of go through you. I imagine it's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm going to ask the question that we talked about at the beginning. Was this cathartic for you? Do you feel mm -hmm. like sharing your story verbally how do you feel like that helped you or did it hurt you i want to hold space for that no, too it if it did it definitely helped it definitely was scary we definitely touched on some deep subjects that i wasn't expecting to go that deep 
but it was helpful. Like it felt like a weight off my shoulders. It also makes me a little like excited, like share it more and get this rush again. So thank you so much for allowing me to. Thank you, Paige. No, that's truly my heart behind the podcast is just holding that space for the positive, negative, good, bad, and ugly. And wow, that really touched my touches my heart that although we went a little deeper than you were expecting, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry to say I tend to have that effect on people. Uh, I'm not. It's good. <laughs> it feels like a therapy session. Like <laughs> I don't shy. I don't shy away from hard topics. Thank you so much for your time today. I think this episode is going to really help, especially parents who have a toddler at home and are juggling that toddler at that home NICU life. Um, Yeah, I just really look forward to releasing this episode. Thanks. And I'm excited for the book to be finished and share it with you and let you know. Yeah, definitely. uh, I'll definitely let our followers know and our listeners know and when it gets released. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in today. We kindly ask you to head over to your favorite podcasting platform to leave us a review. It really helps with searchability and finding different podcasts. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, and you've been listening to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding light after perinatal trauma. Bye-bye.